Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Well, this was certainly a week. <laughs> yeah, this week has been one great, big, long dystopian hellscape, or at least people presenting the country as a dystopian hellscape that only one man can save us from, although he is not currently saving us from it. And there's a bit of an inherent contradiction there, but we will get to that. Obviously, the RNC happened this past week and that was a doozy. And we have some new developments. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about the Kenosha situation and everything that's happened there over the past week. So let me go ahead and start where I have been starting for what seems to be like the beginning of time, but really has been since March. And that is with the unemployment numbers. So for the week of August 22nd, we are back up to 1 million new unemployment claims for that week. Technically, it's like 1,006,000. So we could just call it a million. I mean, does that, does that 6,000 really make it that much worse? So Sadly, that little dip that we saw a couple of weeks ago where we did get under a million for initial unemployment claims seems to have been an aberration and not a sign of a downtrend in unemployment claims. And I keep leading with this because it's it's almost like nobody talks about this very much anymore because I guess it's just on top of all all the other horrible shit that's going on. It's just like this is just one more thing that it's almost... It's almost like you're immune to it at this point because we've seen these numbers every week for so many weeks that it's almost like like you can't even process, like it doesn't even make a dent in your brain anymore. But the fact that we are still having 4 million plus people a month going on unemployment rolls and we're in August, like this was, there seemed to be, and I talked about this before, but it seems like back in the, the days of March and April that there was a feeling that by now things would not be where they are. We would not still be here, but we are still here. We are still having over a million people file initial unemployment jobless claims per week. And it is the end of August. And this is showing no signs of slowing down. It's showing no signs of abating. I actually, before I recorded today, I spent some time with my mom and she hadn't really been out and about very much ever since the pandemic hit. So we went out to eat and we went out to the mall to do some shopping and we got to the mall and she's looking at me like, are you sure it's open? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's open. I've, I've been back. And just the, the amount of foot traffic in both restaurants and in shopping places. And I live in Georgia. I mean, we've been open now for, what, a little over two months, technically, we are open for business, but the business has not come back. Like, I have not been anywhere that has even been close to capacity. I mean, I've not been dining in in any restaurant, and even with our new, like, social distancing seating situations where you've basically got, like, half the dining room open, nowhere near capacity, no shops are anywhere near capacity, just there's no business. Like people are not returning to normal. And if it's not happening here in Georgia, where theoretically speaking, it could happen. Like there's nothing stopping anybody. There's no mandates. Like I said, we do have like in-person dining. You can go to the mall. Like the malls are open. Stores are open. Everything's pretty much open. I think even movie theaters are open here now. Uh, we still don't have bars though. Our bars are still not open, but pretty much everything else is open, but people just aren't going. So I don't know like when this particular trend of having these massive unemployment numbers every week is going to stop because it's just like the business is just not there. And so I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how long I'm going to have to keep telling you these numbers. I'm, I'm assuming at least until the end of the year, although maybe, maybe the holiday season will have some kind of uptick, but even then most business, I mean, and this has been over like the past what, 10, 15 years, a lot of like the Black Friday and the holiday sales and all the stuff like that has migrated to online. And so I expect that trend to continue this year. 
not just because that's a thing that we do now, but because people don't want to go like in stores, like they don't want to really go out in public. So I don't know. I don't know, but it's obviously not, not slowing down like we thought that it might be, sadly. Um, as far as the federal unemployment assistance is concerned, a little bit of good news there. Um, states are starting to get at least approved for the federal unemployment assistance. Uh, we're up to 34 states now that have been approved. However, the same problems are cropping up with this batch of unemployment assistance as it was with the last one, which is that state unemployment agencies are having to handle the the distribution of payment for this. And so their systems aren't set up to really handle this. And this isn't this isn't being handled in the same way that the original federal unemployment assistance program was handled. So they're having to adjust their computer systems once again to handle this sort of dual payment system. So some states have started sending out payments. Um, I know Arizona has. Um, I think there's a couple of other states. Um, but at this point, it's really looking like the vast majority of states are going to be looking at somewhere around mid-September before they start actually issuing out payments. So if you are somebody who is waiting for that money, it does look like you still have a couple more weeks of a wait. And it is supposed to be retroactive. So what I'm thinking is going to ultimately end up happening is if this doesn't happen until mid-September, y'all are going to get like one big lump sum payment because there's only so much money to go around. And even the initial estimates looking at what the financial demand would be versus what was supplied. We were only looking at like four to five weeks of payment. So, I mean, at this point, y'all might be getting one lump sum payment and that's it. So at least there's that. There's there's some movement on that. And obviously, I mean, 34 states is better than it was a couple of weeks ago, but obviously we have 50 states. So <laughs> there are still some states that are either not applying or haven't been approved yet. Um, like Georgia, I'm not even sure if they applied. I don't really know what the status is on that. So like I said, it's, it's going to be on a state-by-state -state basis. So if you are looking for that money, look into what's going on in your state, see if they have been approved, see if they do have any kind of updates for you as to when payments are going to start going out. But allegedly, they will be going out at some point in the future. So there's that. But... Moving on to the RNC, which took place this past Monday through Thursday. And I'm sure if you are, have not been living under a rock, you've probably already seen the memes that have come out of this convention. But before we get into that, I want to clarify something for this because there was a bit of a difference between how the RNC handled their convention and the DNC handled theirs. Like I said last week when I did my recap for the DNC convention, theirs was almost entirely virtual. They they had very few live speakers. I think really the only people that I would say were actually live speakers last week were Joe Biden was obviously, um, Kamala Harris. I don't even think Barack Obama spoke live. Most of what was presented during the DNC was pre-recorded, and that's fine. I mean, that's how they chose to handle it. Cool, whatever. How the RNC handled it is they had their speakers for the most part actually present and giving live speeches at the site where this was supposed to be held in Charlotte, which what happened to Jacksonville? Like, weren't they supposed to move the RNC from Charlotte to Jacksonville? Somehow it got back to Charlotte. So most of what was presented was being presented live and not pre-recorded. So I don't know. Personally, I liked the DNC's format a little better. Just I, I liked the pre-recorded format. I, I liked people doing it like in their homes, on their back porches, in their kitchens, in various spots in their city. Like I just thought that was a better vibe. I don't know. As opposed to what the RNC did, which was have people go and speak live behind a podium to an empty room. Like I don't even think there was any reporters or anything in the room where they were speaking. So just kind of a, a weird vibe. Personal preference, though. I've seen some people say that they feel like the RNC's production value was better, which, I mean, yeah, if you're having people like speak live and you're recording it live, you have a lot more control over production value because you're actually doing the recording versus having other people record and then send their content into you. It, I mean, I, I don't know. 
I tend to be very forgiving about things like that just because of where we're at right now in this country. Like people can't really do live speeches like that. Like you kind of have to, you have to do it to an empty room or you do it this way where people send in content. Like I just, I, I, I'm very forgiving on production value anyway. So night one. <laughs> oh my God. What do I say about Monday night? Um, each night had a theme and the theme of night one was land of progress. And we had, well, it progressed. <laughs> night one was the night that I think, I, I think might've actually killed the RNC. Now looking back, and this is why I didn't make this episode sooner. I wanted to give it a couple days to marinate and see what public opinion was about this. Um, Night one featured the infamous Kimberly Guilfoyle speech, which if you haven't watched it, go watch it. I didn't watch it live because I was just like, I don't care what Kimberly Guilfoyle has to say, which if you don't know who she is, she was a Fox News anchor, contributor, whatever exactly they call that position over at Fox News. But she quit her position when she started dating Don Jr., so basically her job now is being Don Jr.'s girlfriend. And yes, she does get paid for this. Like she has an actual function that she gets paid, I think like $15,000 a month for. Make of that what you will. But that is her job now is to be officially part of Team Trump. And I don't know if she has an official job title, but basically, yeah, Trump cheerleader. That's her job. So she gives this speech and... <laughs> I keep laughing because it's it's hilarious. It's like, this woman must have slammed like three lines of Adderall before getting behind this podium because this shit is nuts. And I mean, at some point, she just starts yelling, just like yelling and wildly gesticulating. And this is where the, the meme comes from, where she's like, and we're going to make America great again. It's like, wait a minute. I thought we already made America great once. I thought we did that back in 2016, but it's just, it's off the charts. Just absolutely, it, it really set the tone for a lot of the RNC content, which is basically vote for Trump or the city or not even the city. The whole country is going to turn into a hellish dumpster fire where everything is burning and the Antifas are beating up your grandma and Joe Biden is drooling in a corner somewhere. That's pretty much the whole theme of the whole convention. So we have that. And then it wasn't directly after hers. I think there was another speech in between. But then you had Don Jr. kind of keeping up that same theme and also looking very pharmacologically enhanced, shall we say? So yeah, the Monday night was batshit crazy. Like it was just full on what in the fuck. Um, a couple of decent highlights from Monday night. Uh, Nikki Haley spoke and yeah, she's, she's positioning herself. She's, she's going to go for it in 2024. Watch. And they also had Tim Scott speak, which this is part of this kind of sort of diversity outreachy kind of thing that the RNC tried to do where they tried to be like, hey, we're cool with black people. So we have Tim Scott who points out, I'm the only black Republican member of Congress. And I'm like, hey, maybe don't point that out because that is not sending the message that you think it's sending. <laughs> so he spoke and I mean, both of their speeches were fine enough. Like I said, Nikki Haley's positioning herself. Let's keep it real. And Tim Scott is, I mean, maybe positioning himself. I'm not sure. But basically, night one was completely overshadowed by Trump family and Trump family adjacent craziness. And I think, and, and when I say that I think night one ruined the RNC is I genuinely think after night one, a lot of people tuned out. Like a lot of people just were like, holy shit, I am not tuning in for three more nights of this. But I tuned in for three more nights of it because this is what I do for you. This clearly did not benefit my mental health at all. I do it for you. But moving on to night two. Night two. Theme. Land of opportunity. And this is the one where, first off, we had Rand Paul's speech. Where he really hammered the idea of Trump bringing home the troops and ending the foreign wars. Which was another 
theme that ran through the RNC, which um, when the fuck is this happening exactly? Um, when are we when are we ending the foreign wars? I was told in 2016 that Trump would be ending the foreign wars and there, we haven't ended the foreign wars. In fact, with the latest troop drawdown in Afghanistan, we are now at the troop level that we were at in 2015. Good job, bam. We have not ended shit. <laughs> and people are always quick to point out like, oh, well, he's tried and then Congress stops and blah, 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 blah. For, like, first of all, Congress didn't approve any of those troops that are currently in the Middle East. So, I mean, theoretically, the president could call them back, especially the ones in Afghanistan. You can call them back whenever you want. Second off, if your argument is that the president is being stymied in his attempts to end the foreign wars by Congress, maybe, maybe stop making the pitch that you're going to end the foreign wars because you can't, because it's not up to you. Again, a, a, a thing that many people have pointed out, and I will address this again, once, especially once we get to Trump's speech, is that Trump is running as if he wasn't already president, like running for his first term, whereas you're running for your second term, dude. You're the president right now. Like everything that you say is, is Biden's America is your America right now, buddy. You're the president. Biden is not the president. So yeah, it's just this, this weird thing of trying to ignore the fact that um you've been president, dude. And so if you're saying the same lines in 2020 that you were saying in 2016 and you still haven't gotten them done, why in God's name would I think you're going to get them done in your second term if you couldn't get them done in your first? So moving on from that to what was one of the most controversial parts of the RNC, and that is the citizenship ceremony that they broadcast. Okay, where do I begin? Well, let's start with the fact that the day before this aired, um, President Trump announced that he is actually submitting Chad Wolf's name to, to, to the Senate for an actual official confirmation hearing. A lot of people were kind of like, okay, that's like, it's not going to happen because it's, I mean, we're two months away from an election. They're not no, nobody's going to like bust their ass to go confirm Chad Wolf right now. And so a lot of people were kind of like, all right, um, great, but why now? Well, Tuesday night showed why now, because Chad Wolf presided over a naturalization ceremony for four individuals, and it is of some questionable provenance as to whether these people knew that they were participating in a political ad, basically. So... He does the, the naturalization ceremony, and I bring up the confirmation part because prior to that, the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, had already ruled twice that Chad Wolf is ineligible for his job. So in order for this to even be, I would think, legal, I mean, for him to like legally perform the ceremony, he would have to be up for Senate confirmation. So there's that. Second of all, uh, no. No, they fucking did not. This administration did not just try to pretend like they are friends to immigration. Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. This administration has shut down immigration. Period. Now it's pre-COVID. This administration does not like illegal immigration. They don't like legal immigration. They don't like asylum seekers. They don't like refugees. They do not want anybody coming into this country. So to sit here and to do this ceremony during the RNC, trying to pretend otherwise was just one of the most cynical, crass, disgusting things I've ever seen. Like I just, I was, I was pissed. A lot of people on Twitter were pissed because it was just like, what? Like, no, no, you do not get to try to pretend to people who don't follow immigration in this country that you give a shit about legal immigration. No, you fucking don't. So some of these people come to find out afterwards, there was four people. I think two of them were on record saying that they were not aware that this was being filmed 
to be presented at the RNC. They weren't aware that President Trump was going to be there. So, yeah, it, that seems like something that you should tell somebody and kind of get their permission before doing it. I would think. Maybe. Just a thought. So, yeah. That just, I'm I'm still pissed. Like, how how dare you? How fucking dare you even try it? Like, no. Mm-mm. But the last part of night two was the keynote address. Now, when I saw that Melania Trump was going to be speaking at the RNC, I assumed that she would be given like, kind of like a five minute speaking role, like a lot of people did. Like Karen Pence was given a five minute speaking role and kind of in that, that sort of vein of just kind of having a small speaking role, like talking about maybe her be best campaign and talking about why you need to vote for Trump because I mean, she's the first lady. Like, okay, that's part of what you're supposed to do. They gave her the keynote address on night two, which was a half hour long. I have no problem with Melania. I don't think she's stupid. I don't think she's, I mean, I'm sure she's a fine, wonderful, lovely person. What she is not is a public person. You ever notice you never really see her all that much and you don't see her speak all that much. She's a private person. Like even before she was first lady, Melania Trump was not a particularly public visible person. Like she lived in Trump Tower and raised Baron and did whatever Melania Trump does during her Melania Trump days. Like she's not that person and that's fine. That's not a knock against her at all. Not everybody wants to be a public facing person. Not everybody wants to be the person behind the podium. She's one of those people. And so they put her in this position and I mean, she's got the teleprompters there and everything. And it's, it's pretty obvious that she's not used to public speaking and she's not used to reading off of a teleprompter and she looked uncomfortable, which I mean, I'm sure she was because it's not something that comes naturally to you. And it's not something that like, unless you've done it a lot, it just, it's not, it's weird, honestly. (laughs) Like it takes like some practice to be able to like get behind a mic and speak in front of people. And hers was in front of people. Like they were doing this, hers was in the Rose Garden, which caused a whole bunch of controversy earlier in the week because apparently she redesigned the Rose Garden. Who gives a shit? Like nobody gives a shit about the Rose Garden. Y'all just wanted to be mad about something. So she gives a speech in the Rose Garden in front of a crowd of people who are not socially distanced and are not wearing masks. So yeah, I, I, I felt bad for her. Like I, I genuinely, I kind of feel bad for Melania in general. Cause I mean, let's, let's keep it real. She did not marry Donald Trump to have a fucking job. She did not. And she got bamboozled into having a job. So <laughs> it's kind of hard not to feel bad for her. And I just watching it. I mean, the speech itself was fine. It's a fine enough speech, not anything that would be like unexpected or that you wouldn't like expect her to be there or to say in the one part that stuck out to me from her speech. And this is just because I noticed when she hit this part, she looked the most authentic is when she was talking about her, her be best campaign. And when she was talking about children and about bullying and stuff like that, at that part of the speech, she stopped looking at the teleprompter. She was looking directly at the camera. She was speaking directly. And you could tell that this was something that was very important to her. And in that moment, she seemed most comfortable, even though it's still not entirely comfortable, but like, like the most, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, and obviously you can go back and watch all of these, but it seemed like the moment where she was like, okay, this is what I want to be doing. And the rest of this is not what I want to be doing. And Melania, bless her heart. I suffer from the same malady. I, she can't really pretend to be liking something when she doesn't. And I just, I, I just felt kind of bad that whoever put her in that position, put her in that position. Cause like I said, she wasn't comfortable. And if, if it were me running for president or running for reelection and I wanted to involve my spouse and let's pretend I have a marriage where my husband would not gladly get behind a podium and speak for 45 minutes to an hour without a teleprompter. 
But let's say he was somebody that just wasn't comfortable in that role. I would find another way for him to participate that wasn't that and that he would be comfortable with. So I just, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't know who made that decision, but I just, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like maybe Melania could have been utilized in a different way where perhaps she would have been more comfortable and more herself and not have to feel like being so formal and reading off of a teleprompter in front of a group of people like you could just tell it wasn't her jam and there's and again that's no knock against her it's not not everybody wants to be that person she doesn't want to be that person and she was kind of forced into being that person and so I just kind of uh, I, I felt bad for her about that one I just that that just came off really weird but something that was very noticeable in night two versus night one is that it was much more toned down. It definitely was not the the ball of crazy that night one was. And so I don't know if that was like a purposeful decision that was made after people's reaction to night one, or if that's just how the schedule happened to work out and the speakers for night two just happened to be generally more sedate than the speakers for night one. But it was definitely a noticeable they they took it down a couple of notches. Like we went from an 11 to like maybe like a seven. So going into night three, theme, Land of Heroes. Remember what I just said about night two? Night three dropped it from like a seven to like a four. Like now we, we've went, we dialed it down a little too far to where honestly, there's really nothing to talk about. From night three, um, that is the night that Mike Pence gave his speech, accepting his VP nomination. And just to kind of cap off how, how just sleep inducing night three was, I mean, Pence's speech. Nobody has ever accused Mike Pence of being an exciting man. Mike Pence's speech was the equivalent of unsalted crackers and lukewarm tap water. I could not begin to tell you what this man said in this speech because I had trouble staying awake for it. It was, I was just like, I, I like, okay, we dialed down the energy from night one to night two. Good. We did not need to go all the way down to night three to where people are like, um, we're all falling asleep. So yeah, night three, not really a lot to talk about. So again, I don't know if night four was a reaction to night three being a little too low energy, but night four, oh, we ramped it back up. Night four, theme, land of greatness. This is the night that Trump gives his acceptance speech to, by the way. So before we get there, though, we have Rudy Giuliani. Channeling his inner, inner Kimberly Kilfoyle, <laughs> yelling at us that once again, the violence is going to be so violent. If Biden wins, it's going to be so violent because he he's a puppet of the far right left wing. Oh my God. Everything's going to be on fire. Vote Trump. Like, but yellier and more Giuliani-ish. So it's like, okay, now, oh boy, here we go. Um, Night four did actually feature the best part of the convention. And that was Alice Johnson's speech. And if you have not watched this one, I do recommend going out and seeking it and watching it. I ain't gonna lie. I cried. And you know you watched it. You did too. Everybody who's a human who watched that speech cried. That is a fact. But it was just, it was so, so great. Like, just her whole story was just so inspirational. And if there's any one good thing that anybody can point to that Trump has done, that is commuting her sentence. And then later on in the evening during his speech, he did issue her a full pardon, which is a little bit political stunty. And some people have wondered if there was a little bit of quid pro quo there. But I mean, I I don't know. I can't speak to that. I don't know what went on behind the scenes there. But yeah, her speech was just, it, it was so great. And just the part where she's like, I'm here 
I'm free. I'm not a ghost. It's just, uh, you're going to cry. Like, if you, you watch it, you're going to cry. Just go ahead and have some tissues ready. I'm warning you. So, we go from that very wonderful, uplifting, positive speech to Ivanka Trump. Which, again, um, Hatch Act violations just all over the place. Um, that naturalization ceremony, probably a Hatch Act violation. Um, Pompeo spoke, probably a Hatch Act violation. Ivanka speaking, probably a Hatch Act violation because she does still technically work for the White House. She does have a role there. And if you are not aware of what the Hatch Act is, is it's, it, it's the act that says that if you are currently working for the government, for the federal government, there are certain political actions that you cannot partake in because you are a a public servant. Um, yeah, being a public servant and stumping for a presidential candidate definitely falls under those those terms. Um, holding a naturalization ceremony as a publicity stunt definitely falls under those terms. So, but of course, nobody gives a shit about prosecuting any of this anymore. So, yeah. Anyway, the point I wanted to make about Ivanka's speech is that, I mean, it, it was a, also a fine enough speech, exactly what you would expect it to be. And she's not acting as a check on her dad anymore. I mean, everybody, everybody in the whole, everybody in the whole RNC is just so pro-Trump. I mean, they even dusted off Tiffany Trump to give a speech. Tiffany Trump. I mean, like, I didn't even know they acknowledged her existence, but here she is giving a speech. But I think what would have been better for everybody is if they would have swapped Ivanka and Melania's places. Like if, if Ivanka would have gave the keynote on the second night and Melania gave a shorter speech on the, on night four, like, I think that would have been better for everybody because I think Ivanka's was, I mean, definitely not long, maybe 10 minutes. So definitely a shorter speech than what Melania got. And I feel like, I, I feel like Ivanka would have done better in the keynote position and Melania would have done better in the shorter speaking time position. That's just me. But moving on to the main event, Donald Trump's acceptance speech. Going back and looking at my live tweets of this, I think I tweeted, what in the actual fuck, about seven times. And that's just the times that I actually tweeted it. Because this thing, this, this right here, I don't know who wrote this speech. It, it definitely, if Stephen Miller had any part of it, he definitely wasn't the sole speechwriter. I mean, Stephen Miller is a vile white supremacist piece of shit, but he's a better speechwriter than this. He's the one that actually wrote the... The, the Trump speech to end all Trump speeches, the American carnage speech, the, the inauguration speech. And this one, this acceptance speech isn't quite the American carnage speech. I don't, I don't know if anything could top that speech, but to borrow W's reaction to the American carnage speech, this was some weird shit. <laughs> First of all, you've got Trump and, and this is all happening on the South Lawn of the White House which has been a whole nother controversy because this is not a thing you do. You don't campaign from the White House. It's just, it's one of those, it's just not acceptable, possibly a Hatch Act violation. Not quite sure, but it's just, it's typically considered extremely bad optics for the president to be campaigning for re-election from the actual White House. So anyway, this is happening on the South Lawn. You've got Trump up there. First off, holding on to the podium for dear life. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm watching this and I'm like, does he think someone's going to come take it away from him? He's got like a two-handed grip on this thing, like he's holding himself up. So we got this speech and it is just an absolute mess. Like, it's just, it's an absolute contradictory mess of just slop. Like, I don't know who wrote this. And I don't know if maybe Trump went off speech. I don't know if the if they just like phoned it in. I don't know what the fuck. I don't know. Like this is nuts. But you have all these contradictions like 
how he is going to end all the foreign wars, but also we're going to be doing troop surges and how we're going to do the criminal justice reform, but we're also going to be locking up more people and possibly looking to end cash bail and how <laughs> just it's like, like that. It's just a total mess of contradictions and I'm not watching it again. I'm not going through it and fact checking it again, but the main gist of the speech was portraying Joe Biden as someone other than Joe Biden. Like, I, I genuinely don't know this Joe Biden that they're talking about, but that somehow he wants to, like, defund the police, which I'm like, excuse me? Joe Biden does not want to defund the police. Um, that somehow Democrats are a bunch of people that want to kill babies in, like, the 10th month, and that somehow all of the Antifa violence will be coming to your city and to your suburbs and they're going to ruin your suburbs because they're going to send all the low-income housing people into your suburbs, which is, again, not true. What Biden is proposing is putting back into place an Obama-era regulation that encourages cities to look at housing areas that are kind of not very diverse in figuring out why that is. So, and like, but, but they're portraying it like they're going to be building projects in like a gated community somewhere. It's, it's nuts. It's absolute fear mongering nuttiness, the whole thing. So we get to this whole speech and we're not done. Oh no, we are not done. After the crazy speech, there's an opera singer. I shit you not people, a fucking opera singer singing Hallelujah and Ave Maria and a couple of other songs. And at this point, everybody is just like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> People are just like, what is going on here? And then after that, after that, we had a fireworks show <laughs> with fireworks explicitly spelled out Trump 2020. Uh, and this is how we ended the evening. <laughs> oh no, no, no. That's not how we ended the evening. How we ended the evening is after all of that, we have all of the Trumps, like all 12 of them lined up, like hand on heart, like watching this. I, oh my God. It was nuts. <laughs> I still can't figure out the opera singer. Why did we have an opera singer? Apparently he was from Jersey, but like, what the fuck? I, oh my lord, it was just absolutely nuts. You can go watch it if you want to, but I'm not watching that again. That was crazy. I didn't want to watch it the first time. And by the way, all of this on night four ran over time. Like it was supposed to end at 11. It didn't end until midnight, which is already irritating. Like one of the one of the favorite things about the DNC for me was that because everything was pre-recorded, like everything's going to start and end on time, which is beautiful when you're trying to watch these things so that you can cover them. So we're up till midnight on Thursday night with this mess. Anywho, overall thoughts. Um, it was, it was rather interesting to watch the online reactions to the RNC. And I noticed that after night one, um, online chatter dropped off dramatically about the RNC, which tells me that a lot of people stopped watching after night one because a lot of people stopped talking about it after night one until Trump's acceptance speech. So I, like I said, I do think night one really did hurt the RNC's ratings and it really like it kind of just like fell off the radar for a lot of people. A lot of people stopped watching. So there's that. <laughs> and my my question is, and well, actually, it's not even a question. This this is an assertion. The RNC and the the Trump campaign is running against someone. I'm not quite sure who, though, because it's not Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Like saying that that ticket wants to defund the police. Like first of all, Joe Biden has been explicit that he wants more federal funding for community policing, not less. And Kamala Harris is a cop. And Joe Biden is not exactly like a soft on crime dude. Like what? Who Who are you running against? It's like, it's like they made a decision 
that they were going to run against Bernie Sanders in the far left wing of the of the party, no matter what. Biden's campaign, Biden's existence in the primary, the whole reason he was put there was as a fuck you to the progressive wing of the party. The DNC, and I pointed this out in my piece that I did for Rocket News, which if you haven't read it, go read it. The DNC basically told the progressive wing of the party to go fuck themselves because they gave them no screen time. Like you had Bernie Sanders, you had AOC speaking for a minute, you had Elizabeth Warren, who, depending on who you ask, is still accepted in the progressive movement. She got five minutes. And that's it. Like, no. This, like, the Biden-Harris ticket is an explicit, just basically go pound sand to the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. So I don't know who they think they're running against, but it ain't them. Like the, the whole, it's just, uh, no, that's not, no. And Joe Biden, I mean, Joe Biden is whatever Joe Biden needs to be. But traditionally speaking, he's about as centrist as they come. So yeah, I, I, I'm just a little confused about who they think they're running against because it ain't that ticket. But that is over. Convention season is over. Now we will have presidential debate season, which doesn't start till... A couple of weeks from now, I forget the, the first date, but yeah, we, we have a couple of weeks of reprieve. So let's move on from those particular politics to what has happened over the past week in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'm going to try to tackle this story chronologically. And again, with my usual caveat, insert rant about media polarization and how difficult it is to get decent information here. Here is as best of what I can figure out happened. Just basically cobbling together various accounts of this situation. So last Sunday, a um, man named Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back by Kenosha PD, by, a, by an officer. The circumstances leading up to this seem to be kind of sketchy, but from what I'm able to figure out is his ex-girlfriend called 911 because he was over at her house and she didn't want him there anymore and he wouldn't leave. The reasons why he was there, I'm not entirely sure. It's been said that he was there to break up a fight. I, I'm not, I'm no, I don't know how he got there. I don't know why he was there. All I know is that 911 was called reported that, okay, he's here. I don't want him here. Like, come here and make him go away. And as it turns out, he had a warrant out for his arrest for sexual assault. Okay, bear all that in mind. So cops get to the scene. And again, this is all going off of various statements also from the independent investigators who are looking into this because Kenosha has had problems in the past with police-involved shootings, and roughly a decade ago, they passed a law instituting that whenever there is a police-involved shooting, there does have to be this independent investigation. So that is currently going on, but their story is that police came on the scene, that they engaged with him, um, they tased him, and that didn't seem to stop him, and so... And here comes the part where we have cell phone footage taken from a third party. Um, he's basically, there's a Dodge Durango and he's on the passenger side of the Durango. And where this, where the video picks up is he's on the passenger side. There's three cops, it's either three or four that are there with him. He walks around the front of the truck to go over to the driver's side of the truck and they follow him around the truck like he's not running he's walking like at at any point they could have tackled him to be honest they could have stopped him so he's walking around to the front of the around the front to the driver's side of the truck he opens up the driver's side door and he's going in to the truck again why i don't know um it's been reported that his three kids were in the truck so i, I don't know why he was going into the truck so they follow him around. He opens the door. One of the police officers grabs him by the shirt. Like, so they're close enough to grab him by his shirt 
And this whole time, the officer has his weapon drawn on him. They're following him around the car. And so he shoots him seven times in the back while while Blake is leaning into the truck to do I don't know what. So the story is that they found a knife on the floorboard of the truck. How it got there, we do not entirely know yet. Um, Blake is thankfully alive, miraculously alive after being shot. Like, I, that's, that's crazy. Um, as it stands right now, he is paralyzed from the waist down and probably will be for life because that's what happens when you get shot seven times in the back. So he said that he did tell the officers that he has a knife. I don't know. And nobody has explicitly said that he threatened the officers with a knife, just that he told them that he had a knife, which if you are in that situation and you're going to get patted down or arrested or whatever, it is a good idea to tell the police officers if you have a weapon on you. And usually they will ask if you have anything in your pockets, any weapons, anything sharp, anything that's going to stab me before they go sticking their hands in your pockets, like, because they kind of need to know that. So, Again, there's been no confirmation as to whether Blake threatened the police officers with a knife. How the knife got on the floorboard, I don't know either. I don't know if he was going into the truck to get the knife. I don't know if the knife was on his person and happened to like fall off of his waistband or something when he was leading into the car. There's a lot of questions here about what exactly happened prior to the shooting. So, obviously, this has started rioting in Kenosha. I want to take a moment here just to kind of give my thoughts on the shooting itself. Whether you feel like it was justified or not, whether it was that he did threaten the cops, whether there, there's been argument that he had like physical altercation with them. They tried to put somebody in a headlock. I don't know. Again, that's not coming from the official Kenosha statement. So I don't know. Take everything with a grain of salt. Shooting someone seven times in the back is excessive force. It just is. Shooting someone seven times, period, is excessive force. So even if you think that this shooting could have been justified... It's still, it's still an excessive force situation and that, yes, it should be prosecutable. Whether it will be or not, who the hell knows? I, I don't know where that's going to end up. And a massive problem with trying to piece together this story is that Kenosha PD does not use body cams, which at this point in, in America... I do not understand why there is any police force that does not mandate the use of body cams on their police officers. I know, I get it. They're expensive. There are there are cash-strapped districts or cash-strapped police forces. You find that money because body cams are there to protect cops just as much as they are to protect civilians. And if these cops had body cams on them, that would make adjudicating this a hell of a lot easier because there would be footage. So right now we're basically going off of eyewitness testimony, cell phone footage, and statements being put out by either the, the investigator's office or by uh, the Kenosha PD police union has put out statements, which I, I, I don't care what any police union has to say. They have one job and that is to protect their members. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to use them as some kind of authoritative source as to what actually happened. So the lack of body cam footage is going to complicate this greatly. So that's where we're at with that. But I mean, I said what I said, it's excessive force. I mean, we have video of him being shot seven times in the back. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, you don't pull the trigger seven fucking times on someone uh, you just, once twice and then you stop <laughs> if i shot somebody seven times in the back i would be in a jail cell right now and i had best to have a damn good excuse as to why i did that in order to avoid spending a very very long time in prison so again whether this will be prosecuted or not i don't know yet but obviously 
video went viral and people started riding in Kenosha. Which brings us to the next situation coming out of Kenosha. And that is the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting. Again, I am going to try to take this chronologically as best as anyone has been able to construct the timeline for what exactly happened here. Because again, it, we, we, it just, everything is going by eyewitness testimony right now. Um, Rittenhouse has been charged with two counts of murder. I think also two counts of reckless murder. There's some public endangerment in there. Um, kind of a grab bag of stuff, but he's not really given any kind of like explanation for what exactly happened here. But here's what we know. Kyle Rittenhouse lives in Antioch in Illinois, which is obviously not Kenosha, Wisconsin, but it's, it's half an hour away. It's not like a super far away as away. So he goes, and he's 17 years old, by the way, we're talking about a minor here. He goes, he gets, I think it was a, it's not an, not an AR, but it was like a, a Smith and Wesson 223, but it, it's a long rifle. So he's got a long rifle. He goes from his home to Kenosha. I don't think anybody invited him to do this. To the best of my knowledge, I've not seen anybody make any kind of statement saying that, yeah, we asked this kid to be here. But so he goes there and he's initially part of a group of people who are protecting a used car dealership to keep it from getting burned. So he's there and the police know that this group of people is there because we know that they went by, they saw them there, um, talked to him, um, gave them bottled water. But uh, allegedly, allegedly also told them that they have to leave because there is a curfew in Kenosha now. So that happened. Cops leave. And then for some reason that has not been explained, Rittenhouse left the the property of the used car dealership to do I'm not sure what. Then after doing I'm not sure what, he tried to return to the dealership and was prevented by police because it was already, it was past curfew. I mean, at this point, it's almost midnight. And so they would not let him back onto the property. They told him, you have to, you have to leave. You have to go home. This is when shit gets sideways. So instead of going home, he starts wandering the streets in Kenosha and is eventually because, I mean, you're out there. It's almost midnight. You have a long rifle on you. You're going to get confronted by protesters, by rioters, by whoever. Like, it's not going to go unnoticed. So he's confronted by one of the rioters. And altercation occurs. He shoots and kills that guy. Then, apparently, he calls his friend and tells him that he just killed someone. So phone call happens. Obviously, after shooting the first person, the crowd starts doing what they do, which I mean, like, they're, they're trying to stop him. They're trying to grab him to keep him from going anywhere, trying to get his weapon away from him. And so he starts getting chased by a group of rioters. And what ends up happening is while he's being chased, he trips, he falls. Obviously, once he's on the ground, um, they start beating him. One of the protesters or rioters. I'm not sure if they were protesters or rioters. I'm not sure what they were there to do. But anyway, it's almost midnight. You can make a wild assumption here. Starts trying to hit him with his skateboard. And so... Obviously, the inevitable happens and he opens fire to try to protect himself from the person trying to beat him with a skateboard, ends up killing another person and injuring somebody else. He shoots someone in the arm and then, then apparently uh, cops start congregating on the area because shots fired. Um, he walks up to the cops, hands up, basically like, I did it, like, and the cops just let him go home. And they didn't arrest him until he was actually back home in Antioch. I There's a lot of questions here. I, I'm not entirely sure why the cops didn't take someone into custody when they're showing up to some place where there are shots fired and there's a person with a gun. Or at least stop them and question them and be like, hey... 
are you involved in this at all, guy? So that's what happened there. Um, thoughts on this? I have no problem with property owners going full roof Korean. Like if you have property and there's rioting going on in your city, you have every right to protect your property. I don't know what the hell a 17-year-old kid thought he was doing getting in some sort of moving vehicle and going into a situation like that armed by nobody's nobody asked you to do that like nobody invited you like nobody told you to do that and there's been reports that there were calls put out on Facebook for people to go to Kenosha I mean I don't even know what to say to that other than unless a property owner is inviting you to come over and protect their property why are you putting yourself in that situation if I'm gonna catch a case I'm not doing it for nobody like I'm not, no, I'm not going to be out here in these streets armed, protecting property for people that I don't even know. Like, I, and think about that what you want. But I mean, it's like, you're putting yourself in a situation and this kid is 17. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what he was thinking this was going to be like or what he was getting into. I like to think that he didn't show up there with the intent of killing people. I mean, I, I like to think most people don't leave the house with the intent of killing people, but uh, I mean, this is, this isn't a game anymore. People aren't LARPing. People aren't playing. Like if you're out there armed, people are going to attack you. And so I don't, I don't know. And like I said, we've not heard a statement from him. Maybe we'll get some kind of clarification from this kid. Um, I don't think he's a white supremacist. He is somebody who is very pro-cop. Uh, he apparently was part of like some kind of youth cadet organization. Um, lots of posts backing the blue and supporting cops, interested in guns, you know, all, all of that. I don't know if he thought that he was helping anybody. I, I All I know is now there are two people dead and one person injured. And this kid is likely going to go to jail for a long time. Over what exactly? Like what? What? What were you doing? What did you think you were accomplishing? I, just, I don't. I don't understand. And obviously, there are people that have made hay over the fact that two of the guys that the two guys that were killed had criminal records. One of them had been in jail, had a, a violent history, had had charges for um, having sex with minors. Unless you can prove to me. That Rittenhouse showed up with a list of, like, sex offenders and started picking out those people to shoot them. That is completely irrelevant to the story. I don't think Rittenhouse knew these people from Adam. So, he didn't shoot them because he thought he was a pedophile. He shot them because he shot them. Like, I, I, like, it's just, it's, it's a weird part of the story that makes no sense to me. Like, why, like, there's no way that he knew what the criminal histories were of the people that he killed. Like, I'm sorry. No, that just, it's not relevant. So that is that. Again, what is going to happen from here? I don't know. But I mean, it's just, it's, it's ratcheting up. The violence is ratcheting up. People are getting shot at this point. And to that, to that, um, this past evening, um, August 29th, at a protest in Portland. There was another man shot dead. And we're... I, I don't have all of the details on it yet. Because this is a fairly breaking story. But it looks like it was somebody who was a Trump supporter. Because what it was is they were having a pro-Trump rally in Portland. And so obviously counter-protesters showed up. People were armed. People were driving cars into crowds. And the guy who ended up shot dead according to eyewitnesses, had on a Patriot Prayer hat, which would pretty much put you in the, the MAGA camp. So it's not just like it's a situation where rioters are getting shot. Now you're having people on the MAGA side getting shot. Can we just not shoot people? Can we just fucking stop? Like, this is this is ratcheting up. Because now both sides are showing up armed, which was always going to happen. This is what is, it's, it's inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable. It's also inevitable that one of these days, 
somebody is going to be surrounded by a group of protesters trying to stop them in their cars or trying to push them back. And that person's just going to hit the gas and people are going to get run over and killed. Like this is getting people killed. Stop. Just fucking stop. Don't, don't bring, do not bring weapons. Don't bring guns. Just, just stop. Like this is just, it's going to get absurd. It's, I mean, it's, it's got to end somehow. How it's going to end, I don't know. But I think there's going to be more dead people. There's going to be more shot people. There's going to be run over people. There's going to be stabbed people. There's going to be beaten people. Because there can't not be. I mean, it's it's the inevitable result of this. And there's plenty of blame to go around. Everybody wants to blame the mayors and the governors. And it's like, I don't know what exactly you do to stop this. I mean, what, do you, do you send cops in to go beat the shit out of people? Well, that's not any better. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say here, guys, but it's it's starting to have a body count. And so maybe that's the thing that causes people to maybe take a step back and be like, oh, shit, wait, we're, we're killing people in the streets now. Maybe, maybe we've gone a little too far with this. Fingers crossed, but I don't hold out a ton of hope on that. But obviously the Kenosha situation is still ongoing. Uh, the National Guard has been deployed in Kenosha. I don't think there's going to be, well, at least as of right now, I've not heard anything about any federal agents being deployed to Kenosha, which, I mean, after the Portland situation, I would highly suggest not doing that because that certainly did not help the situation in Portland. And the situation in Kenosha is, I think, even more volatile and explosive than Portland because there it's it's a little more raw like you're you're protesting a very specific police brutality instance whereas portland is kind of the the whole portland thing that portland's been doing for years like i i don't know i just feel like it's a little more volatile in kenosha so <sighs> fingers crossed for next week being better <laughs> than this past week at least I won't have any political conventions to watch. There's there's that. Hopefully I won't have any more, like, police brutality videos to watch. That would be nice. I, I'd gone a couple weeks without having one of those. I'd like to do that again. So at this point, I am going to go ahead and wrap this one up because it has gone long. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening as always. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.